this week on Deep Night. It's rare that you get a show where you get to sit the whole time. Yes, it's yeah. extremely rare. Yeah. Not uh, a lot it, of Shakespeare desk, desk pieces. No, no, there aren't. But maybe someday. Maybe someday. I, I still cross my yes. fingers. <laughs> um, <laughs> we can get the Tempest set in an office environment. That would yeah. be that would be fantastic. Oh, friends, hello, it's me, Dale Seaver, and I'm thrilled to welcome you back to the Deep Night. We come to you as we always do from the foul banks of the Gowanus, and oh, the Gowanus is warm tonight. This is a special live episode of the program, so you get to hear that classic Deep Night intro twice. Isn't that something? Could I edit it? Sure. Will I? No. This episode happened about a week ago, and in that time, even in the last ten minutes, so much political activity has happened. But I'm pleased to report that my jokes at the top of the show, the old monologue, the old topical one-two, hold up. Because isn't the idea of a press secretary disappearing into a bush hilarious? It will always be funny to me. Ah, oh, and that nicely leads into our conversation tonight. We took the opportunity of having New York Times comedy critic and columnist Jason Zinneman on the show to delve into the world of late-night TV, specifically the legacy of David Letterman, because Jason has written the exceptional new book, Letterman, The Last Giant of Late Night. And doing political jokes in the monologue is kind of one of the pieces of late-night TV. Is it part of the hosting duties. In fact, this whole episode is kind of inspired by the kind of things and hijinks you might get on some uh, program like uh, A Late Night with David Letterman. So, you know, some Carson may have done some political stuff, but maybe he pulled back. Fallon got into a little bit of trouble doing some. Letterman always seemed a little cautious about it, and Leno had, you know, a couple of yucks uh, uh, at the expense of uh, the Clintons and others. So, uh, you know, it's part of it. It's, what are the elements to hosting uh, uh, was a piece of this conversation. And we talk about some of the nuts and bolts of making late-night shows and explore the form with a Ketchiku Afamadu, a, a terrific uh, young comedian who's taking all, the, all of these elements of late-night hosting duties and looking at them from a theatrical uh, perspective. You know, what does it take to be a host? What has to happen? What has to be in place? Does there need to be a desk? Do you need to wear a certain outfit, etc., etc.? Furthermore, I thought, well, what about the international perspective on this, about the other hosts around the world? And where, where are so many of the hosts of tomorrow, uh, you know, honing their comedic skills right now? Well, that's got to be in the podcast sphere. You know, this is where things are happening. So I wanted to have podcast hosts and comedian Maeve Higgins on the program. And uh, I don't know that we addressed that specifically head-on, but I've thought about it. <laughs> Sometimes I get distracted by this elderly man who sits in the front row of every uh, uh, live event at the Slipper Room. Um, I think mostly he's there for the burlesque. But I'm glad that he's there early. And because I'm also there early, pre-show, let you into a little secret here, Th this guy looks like, you know, kind of a skinny uh, Santa or perhaps a wizard uh, in disguise, um, meaning not in a cloak, but in like a pedestrian outfit. And he sits there and he'll unfold a piece of plastic. And on that plastic is uh, always some kind of fish. This, this particular night, it was thinly sliced, beautiful looking salmon, a little bit of lox that he was having there. Now, uh, long-time listeners to this program know I'm a little sensitive to smell. So knowing that when I walk out there, I'm going to be hit by a wave of, mmm, that fresh fish odor, it always sets me a little... <laughs> 
of course. It's a little discomforting, I'll be honest with you. But um, uh, 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 if I see that I'm getting a laugh from him, I know that the show's okay. So I'm glad that he's there. I'm glad he's enjoying it, and it means that I'm never doing the show um Alone. So uh, with Maeve, we do talk about some of the, some of the ideas that I, I mentioned. We talk about her experience hosting her podcast, Maeve in America, which is wonderful, and uh, how she uh, does co-hosting with Neil deGrasse Tyson when she's on the uh, National Geographic Star Talk, which is uh, another terrific, uh, amazing uh, show. Uh, we also do a little conjuring at the top of the show. Oh, this is going to be fun for the home listener. Uh <laughs> Because this is essentially a, a visual bit. But, uh, you know, there's always so many great characters popping in and out of uh, late night. Uh, and there's a great history of kind of doing little sketches and things. That I thought it would be great to, to practice my conjuring powers. And with some help uh, from the great and mighty Zardulu, who sent me some instructions on how to do some very powerful conjuring, I um, ended up uh, uh, summoning the, the the brilliant young comedian Amy Zimmer to the stage. Now, uh, Amy has a family history with psychics, so I was eager to have her on and uh, have been for some time. And she came on and did uh, a display, a demonstration of those powers with uh, some piano music accompanying it. So you can sit back and relax and enjoy uh, the piano music from uh, Ben Kling, who does a great job, and I try to kind of narrate what's happening, but again, I, I couldn't see everything that was going on. She was able to appear and disappear right before everybody's eyes. But apparently photographer John Huntington caught some of that uh, and we posted some of the photos. So if you see something, let me know. See something, say something. Uh, so it's a fun time, these live shows, and we're going to do another one on June 21st at 8 p.m. at the Slipper Room. And it's an all-politics, uh, all-feminism uh, show. Uh, who better to host that than me? And uh, we've got a great lineup. Uh, tickets and information are going to be up on our website, and that will be a benefit for a brand-new Congress and is being organized with a terrific group out of Brooklyn called the Brooklyn Ladies of Winning the Vote or Blow. Ladies and gentlemen, are you like me? Have you been influenced by David Letterman but never fully acknowledged it? Were you even aware of it? Well, let's explore that and other things as we journey ever further into the deep night. There it is. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Oh. Oh, yes. Doesn't that feel good? Doesn't that feel good? Oh, yes. Thank you, Cornelius. Wonderful. Wonderful. Yes, let's hear it for Cornelius. We'll talk more with you in a little bit, so don't go anywhere. Hello, I am Dale Shiver, and I am your guide this evening, your stoic lighthouse in the psychic sea, your Sally Yates in a storm full of Ted Cruz's, your White House heads ready to reclaim Sean Spicer. I'm telling you, these guys, right? Gosh, it's hard to look at them sometimes, and I think that might be strategy. <laughs> part Ted Cruz Ted Cruz ladies and gentlemen his face looks like a Halloween mask that's been on a low shelf at Party City just <laughs> abandoned and it's April because nobody wants that thing it's just sitting there still my gosh it's a lot to take in but tonight it is my honor nay my duty to welcome you to this interdimensional space that we call the deep night 
yes, we're ready for an hour of regrets and revelations and we're going to get right into it because we have such a big and terrific show for you. First of all, let's say hello to Cornelius Loy, who's back here. Oh. There it is. Yes. Cornelius, you are playing the theremin? Yes, that's correct. That's right, where you basically just play uh, energy. Yes, ether. Yes. Ether waves. Ether waves. Now, I saw a picture recently. You were playing your instrument there, and there was a naked woman in front of you. Is that what was happening? There was, and it's actually her birthday today. Hell, terrific. She was already in her birthday suit. So that's great. You know, if you ever want to bring her by. Yes, Cassandra Rose Beetle. <laughs> Cassandra, yes, of course. That's her name. Cassandra Rose Beetle. That's great. And if you want to bring a fella by, that's okay, too. I'm not uh, picky when it comes to public nudity. It's totally okay. How it, those days for me, though, are behind me. Now it's just compression socks and hold-me-ins. So that's... <laughs> That's how lovemaking is at my house. But it's, uh, it's great, and I'm so glad that you're here. It's uh, always wonderful to see you, Cornelius. Always wonderful to be here, Dave. That's great, isn't it? Well, you know, all season long, and what a season it's been. I'm going to walk over here. Uh, <laughs> cross that away. It's uh, been a great season, and I've been working on my conjuring, you see, because I've gotten very into the holistic and the healing arts, the mystical energies that surround us, not unlike the theremin, playing those energies that are all around like cosmic threads. And so uh, in order to do a proper conjuring, I reached out to the almighty and powerful Zardulu. Do you know about Zardulu? Well, evidently you can just send them a Facebook message. And I did that and uh, they replied. They said, well, I'm sorry, I'm not in town, but here's the instructions. And so they gave me a powerful thing. It's called the Mythos Liturgy. And it's an ancient, ancient spell full of instructions on how to breathe, and there's a lot of noises involved. And so I said, well, that's great. I'm going to do that uh, for the show. So I thought what I would do tonight is uh, begin the conjuring with this Sardulu energy behind me and these powerful instructions. So if we can have some conjuring uh, light, Cornelius, if you will, we will begin. Spirit of my spirits, I fire that burns within, in, 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 in. powerful all seeing of the immortal birth. I call upon. Okay, I'm gonna stop. I'm gonna stop. <laughs> sorry, sorry. I'm getting the willies. I'm sorry. I feel like that might work, and uh, that's terrifying. <laughs> You know what I mean? What if I bring forth some kind of Egyptian half-dog creature? I won't be, I won't, none of you will be happy. I'll be scared. And uh, I don't, I don't, it's too, it's too real. You say, well, what about a Dijin or a Dijini, Dale? What if you conjure one of them? Well, sure, but then they're always out foxing you with the three wishes. And then the next thing you know, I'm stuck in a lamp and I don't like small spaces. So no, thank you. The point is. Uh, why don't we go back to the way that we normally do the conjuring here in the deep night, uh, which involves a fair amount of hip work, uh, some face activity, and uh, well, you'll see. Okay, so let's do that. Cornelius, uh, Johnny, with the lights. Thank you. Oh, mighty spirits and energy, I call forth whatever powerful being may be out there this evening. I summon you to the stage. Come forth! 
come forth. Appear to me now so that I may gaze upon thee. Anybody? <laughs> Told you I was working on it. So it's uh, not entirely great, but uh, are you here? Amy, are you here? Did you appear? Maybe she's sitting next to one of you. It could be. Oh, <laughs> my goodness. She snuck out from back here. Amy Zimmer, ladies and gentlemen. Comedy's Amy Zimmer. There she is. Wow, hello. Welcome. Have a, have a microphone if you need it there. Uh, Amy, Hi. oh, sure. You want to sit? Okay, I do as the spirit cool. commands. Uh, how are you, Amy? I'm great, thanks. You, you conjured with such a force, I didn't want to cause a fright. <laughs> I understand. I've gotten that a lot. <laughs> now, uh, it's true. you're from Tampa? That's right. Oh, I used to do the old Tampa to Tempe circuit when I was uh, performing. Oh, a powerful. A one. Yeah, it's great for comedy oh, and uh, good for sleeping in the car. But uh, you're from down there. Florida is such a powerfully uh, charged place, isn't it? Oh, deeply magical. I think everyone would agree. I think we'd all agree. And I once had a very uh, strong deep tissue massage oh. down there by a fella and I'm telling you I started to weep that's how powerful yeah. the massage yeah. was and immediately after I saw there was a Krispy Kreme nearby and the hot donuts was flashing so I went over that sign. and I ate them all have you ever eaten your feelings Amy does a few hours ago count <laughs> it sure does what's your food of choice mmm this is a good question thank you <laughs> um, just about well I'm a dreaded vegan, so I oh. eat just about anything that is uh, not uh, meat or dairy. Yeah. So I'll eat pounds of that. I'm kind of like a, I could just go to a trough and just... Just eat the tofu? Is that yeah. what it is? Yeah. Tempe? Legumes and... Tempe? Tampa? Tampa. Tampa There's started tempe, and I, <laughs> there it is. I could leave anyone with anything, it's that. <laughs> Tampa started tempe, and uh, there's a vibrant... A vibrant, uh, conscious, and vegetarian community in Central Florida. <laughs> I bet there is. I bet there is. One of the things that it's known for, isn't it? Um, well, I gather you are descended from a long line of psychics and powerful beings. I am, actually. This, yeah. is, this is the truth. My aunt is a functioning psychic and a recent own insider. Oprah has uh, reached out to her and given her a t-shirt, I believe, and... Own the Given network, her, the yeah. Oprah network. No, really, she's uh, been insider. recognized for something I'm not quite sure of, but she is a functioning clairvoyant, and I think she's been recognized for that. So, yeah, it does run in my family. That's like a functioning alcoholic? <laughs> sort of. Yeah. You, it's manageable, I guess. <laughs> I guess so. I don't know anything about that either. But um, <laughs> you have, uh, have you... Um, displayed any of these powers? Have you feel like you inherit them as you mature? Mm, well, I've, people have said that I, you know, you know, when you ever get your cards done or things like that, they've sure. said I'm intuitive or I have my own inherent psychic ability. And I've never really felt that way one-to-one uh, -one, uh, or uh, in a way that I could practice. But I do feel like I have some sort of um, energies within me that mm -hmm. I... Uh, don't know how to quite control yet some sort of ethereal um, thing that's going yeah. on inside yeah. me and that's um I feel it too yeah I feel that you have yeah. that it's sparking off of you yeah yes yeah um so 
how do I phrase this? I guess when people tell me or ask me, you know, when they sense this thing off me, yes. it's this, uh, well, I'll just say it. I, I can be a little bit sneaky. Oh. Yeah, I, I'm you, a little you, bit sneaky. Your power manifest as being sneaky. A little bit sneaky. I yeah. see. A little bit elusive. Um, and it's nothing, nothing, uh, you know, malicious or no malintent. No. It's just that I can sort of um, exist, and people get frightened when I'm right there. I can just be standing there, and people won't notice me, and it's uh, <laughs> uncanny, and it feels supernatural the way I can uh, frighten people in being sneaky without even trying. Um, so it's yeah, that I would say it's sort of a supernatural predilection, but I, I don't really know if it's quite true. You know, I don't mm. like to... You have some doubts of your powers. Yeah, a little yeah. bit. You know, I don't know if I'm really sneaky, you know. Well, would you be able to demonstrate any of these powers here this evening? Yeah, I could try if that's okay. Um, I think we'd all like to see it. Yeah, uh, yeah, I could do that. I would just need you to, uh, you know, set up a scenario in which you're a gentleman as you are, going about your, this is a lovely parlor or something like that, and, you know, just be you, be you. And, um, yeah, that's all we need. And I guess... I got uh, it. I'm doing it. I'm in the parlor. I would love to be in a parlor. I, I feel too. like I'm not in parlors I enough. I know. I've got the right slacks for it, and I've got the right <laughs> body type for it. When you're right, you're right. I'm right. So, yeah, uh, that's... Uh, you, you have accompaniment for this? Well, I was just wondering if we could uh, maybe get a little sneaky music to see if it translates. And that's all we need. We happen to have we'll a piano there. Okay, all okay. right. I'm good. I'm Thank at the you. parlor enjoying it. Cue a little music from the uh, vents. Good. Oh, I think he's got it. It's almost a scary parlor. Can't tell if I saw something or not. My vision is poor. It's always difficult to see. I've reached a state of unease. Deep, deep unease. Like I've maybe wandered into the wrong parlor. It might be a brothel. <laughs> Had to check. <laughs> oh, there are powerful energies at work. You can feel them.
realize how scary a piano could be. That's the one I got. That's the one. I almost had a heart moment. I'll show you that time. <laughs> ah! Oh, oh my. She's on the chairs, isn't she? <laughs> you guys see her, right? I just want to make sure. Whoa, it's like a floating card. <laughs> wow, wow, Amy Zimmer, ladies and gentlemen. Oh my gosh, I think you got it. I think you got a lot of power there. You are definitely sneaky. Uh, you've set everyone uh, to a level of discomfort. Yeah. Yeah. Disorienting. It's disorienting. I yeah. bet. Can you feel it? Do you feel a little shaken? I feel like I completely dissolved. <laughs> yep. I, f I know that feeling. Yeah. Yep. And I th I'm sure our audio listeners will feel that way too. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for tuning in. That's right. If you. We're wondering if you're listening right now what happened. Uh, if you could give me another, another six minutes, I'll go into detail. Um, <laughs> I think, well, maybe we'll do that as an addendum after the show, Amy. Sure. Would that be okay? That's that okay. was terrific. Amy Zimmer, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks. Now, uh, we'll just keep an eye out for you. We never know when you're going to pop up again, but uh, there it is. Cornelius warned me or something. Make a sound if you see her. Whoa, gosh. That's, see, that's what happens when you delve into the deep night. These powerful things emerge, and you say, is this really happening? And did I spend money on that? But the point is, we're having a great, <laughs> we're having a great time, and uh, Amy's terrific. I thank her for coming up here. Now, uh, tonight on the show, we're going to be talking... Uh, there we go. Sometimes I do a sit-down music. That was a standing-up moment. Um, sometimes uh, on the show, uh, uh, we, we introduce a kind of theme, and then we go with it. And tonight, we're going to be doing that. We're going to be talking about late night hosting, and a few other things. And the reason be, uh, that we're doing that is because of uh, our first guest tonight. He uh, writes the On Comedy column for New the New York Times. Maybe you've heard of it. And uh, he he's a, a great writer and critic, and he's written for Vanity Fair and Slate and uh, our beloved guide to places to eat outdoors, Time Out New York. And uh, he's also uh, responsible for this wonderful book, Letterman, The Last Giant of Late Night. We're going to talk about that. Jason Zinneman is here, ladies and gentlemen. Jason, come on up. Make your way. How are you, sir? Great. Grab a microphone. Ah, Jason. Good to be here. It's great to have you here. And... Uh, uh, my goodness, what a book that you've made. It's terrific. I want to know, uh, you, of course, were 
uh, the baby of the family, were, were you ever aware that as you sat there so many lonely late nights, neglected by your siblings, watching Late Night with David Letterman, that it would ever lead to a best-selling book? <laughs> uh, no, no, this did not, uh, although I do kind of think of the, the book as a way to kind of understand what was going wrong in my head as a kid. <laughs> yes? Uh, yeah, I think, I mean, it's about David Letterman. I'm not the, the, the subject of it, but I was obsessed as a kid, and I was sneaking out. You were correct. Yes. I don't know if you were psychic or whatever. You knew that I was staying up late and, yeah. and uh, past my bedtime, and, and I, was, I, don't, I didn't quite know why this, this show had a, sort of had a hold a spell over me, but it did, and, and yeah. part of the point of the book was to try to figure out why. Sure, and uh, you do such a great job of describing some of those early episodes. I know you watched a lot of them and went back to it, but there's something about even just describing the opening credits of the early uh, late night, how it would depict New York in a certain kind of a way, and you remember watching Carson and that kind of thing, watching late uh, Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. That was like going to a party at a friend of your parents' house, right? right. You'd be watching, you'd be like, I don't know what an Angie Dickinson is, but I like it. <laughs> and you know, you'd start to feel weird feelings, but you didn't always catch the references. And it was a little bit out of whack. But then uh, David Letterman would come along, and what was it about it? It was very of the moment. It felt uh, groundbreaking. It felt, um, it felt urgent. It's true, and I, I would add that it felt like the antithesis of The Tonight Show. It felt like almost yes. a response. The Tonight Show would come on, and it was this glamorous place in, in Hollywood, or it seemed, in, you know, it seemed like from Hollywood with all these movie stars, and the lights were bright, and everyone was happy and cheerful, and uh, had this sort of chumminess. And then Late Night came on, and it seemed like it was refuting everything that, that was there before, that it was making fun of the show business in Hollywood, that it was comfortable with awkward silences, yes. that, it was, uh, that it would show you backstage and the, the, the crummy-looking sets, uh, and it didn't have music to introduce some guests. So it, it seemed like, and some part of this was by design, Johnny Carson didn't want... Uh, wouldn't wouldn't let them do the he same thing. He kind of things. stipulated, as far as the show that would come after him, to not have elements of that would be too close to the Tonight Show. It's true. In fact, right down to the guests, they had to they couldn't take the Tonight Show guests. But yeah. I think that's been oversold a bit. That the truth was that the people who made Late Night wanted to put on something that was completely different than the Tonight Show, um, and then they. Uh, you know, they succeeded, I think, in, in making something that was completely different than it had been on TV before or, or really since. Yeah. Well, and one of the revelations and one of the key factors to that uh, that you uh, really uncover in your book, or I mean, if you were paying attention, you might know the name Meryl Marco. Right. But the fact is that Meryl Marco uh, was a, a powerful woman who was the le head writer right. of the show and really shaped it from an innovation standpoint, from a let's play with the form, let's uh, tackle what it means to do a television show. All of these inventions came from her. Right, and she was his uh, girlfriend. Which made him more receptive to some of those ideas, one imagines. I think so. Yeah. I think so. I think, you know, he, the fact that she would go home with them every night and would lobby for her ideas. You know, one of the hard things about uh, 
of being a writer on these shows is just getting FaceTime yeah. with the, uh, so she, uh, and her sensibility was very different than Letterman. Letterman was a, from the Midwest, was a fraternity brother, was a weatherman, was a broadcaster, a guy who worshiped Johnny Carson. Uh, Mark, Marco had no interest in Johnny Carson, didn't like TV, was a art professor at Berkeley, you yeah. know, uh, thought that this, this frat boy wasn't particularly interested in, in him uh, right off the bat. Um, and it was their uh, complementary uh, aesthetics uh, that made the show what it is. And I think if you look at, you know, she came up with Stupid Patrick, she came up with Viewer Mail, uh, the remotes, I think, in some ways the greatest legacy is if you look at, you know, Late Night Today and you look at the, uh, how the Daily Show will go out in, in, in the streets and, and turn uh, ordinary strangers' uh, responses and edit them together to make a comedy bit, which we see in Conan and everything. Yeah. Meryl Marco really pioneered that. Uh, and, and there were so many writers that worked uh, uh, with her or uh, for her, for the show, that then went on to do other yes. uh, programs. So really her influence is felt to The Simpsons, to uh, uh, many other programs that are out there, including The Daily Show, but, but, but other ones too. Even other, Conan O'Brien, other late night shows too. Yeah, one of the things, you know, sort of one of the arguments of the book is that, you know, Johnny Carson said this thing where he said, uh, someone said, well, you know, what makes a good talk show? Yeah. And he said, it's all about the man behind the desk. And pretty much everything ever written on Late Night takes this for granted. Uh, and my, it, my book sort of argues against this idea, that yes. obviously the man behind the desk is important, but the, uh, or the woman behind the desk, uh, but the, um, the show around it is, you know, is, is, is just as important, and, and these talk shows are as collaborative as, uh, you know, as plays or as movies. And to understand how this show changed, you need to look... Uh, at the other people involved. And in this case, all these, uh, many of the people who started Late Night went on to make some of the most important comedies in our culture. Yes. Now, did you ever think of uh, uh, naming this book Meryl Marco, the first lady of Late Night? <laughs> no, I don't think it would have sold too well. Well, that's the, uh, the, that's the issue, isn't that's it? That's the crass commercial <laughs> impulse that I go by, yeah. You've got to move some units. <laughs> yeah, you got to move so some units. you put that guy on the cover. Yeah, right. <laughs> that's the problem, isn't it? It's a problem with everything. Yeah. I know, I know. But um, now, uh, she's terrific and had this huge influence uh, on TV, as we've said. And uh, but going through there, when you had to watch all these episodes, yes. thing, was there a video that you watched or an interview uh, that you watched that was particularly uh, revelatory, particularly uh, kind of revealed the moment of David Letterman as a persona, as a character, that you were surprised by? Not the usual sort of Sandra Bernhardt, uh, Madonna, uh, you know, those kind of things, ones that maybe m people are more familiar with. Right, right. Uh, there's a couple. There's, um, I really liked the early interviews where he's sort of awkward. And you learn, I mean, th there's one with Julie Haggerty, yeah. who is on, uh, it was an airplane. Right. The actress from Airplane. Yes. Which was just an incredible train wreck of an interview. She <laughs> is a very shy, awkward woman. You can look, look it on YouTube. And she is giving one word answers and, you know, saying things like, you know, he's saying, well, well what did you do and she, this summer? She's oh, I saw my parents and they were nice. And, uh, you know, I like to do nice things. And, <laughs> and in a normal talk show, the talk show host would then get friendlier or warmer, try to bring her out yes, or, or, right. or take over. Yep. And what Letterman, exactly. Yep. Instead, what Letterman did was you could see him get angry at her. <laughs> and then start to mock her uh -oh. by imitating her. And, and so he said, well, I, 
you know, I also just, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but you know, I, uh, you know, went on vacation. And I had a good time with my family, and I did. And he was just imitating her right <laughs> to her face, and it was the cruelest thing I'd ever seen. Yeah. And but it was hilarious, and it was. And you looked at it and you said, "Oh, this is a different kind of." This is a different kind of show. Yeah. Uh, I was another one that stands out is Christopher Reeve came on early uh -huh. on. Yeah. And at one point, Christopher Superman, Superman yeah. at that point. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Christopher Reeve said at one point, he said, well, um, let me get he was promoting uh, some movie, which I forgot what it was, but it wasn't Superman. Yeah. And he said, well, I should get to the the commercial reason I'm here. And uh, and uh, Letterman said, wait, 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 you're saying that you wouldn't come on this show if you didn't have a movie to promote? Yeah. And Christopher Reeve said, no, I, I wouldn't come on this show. And <laughs> right. Letterman, you know, you, you'd, if it was Jimmy Fallon, he would play along, but Letterman got really angry. <laughs> and he said, he said, well, the person who came out here before, they just wanted to be on the show, and the person who came out to be And Christopher Reeve said, you've got very thin skin. Uh, <laughs> and it was, it was great television. Well, it's a good time to remind everybody that the book is available now. Uh, on Amazon or at fine bookstores and that kind of thing. I went back and I watched the interview with uh, Van Johnson. Uh, people know who Van Johnson was? Sure, some, somebody, some big Brigadoon fan over here. Uh, you know, and he's, you know, this uh, kind of, at that point, a kind of forgotten star. Even by then, by the 90s, right. there's not a lot of Van right. Johnson heads out there. <laughs> and uh, have you seen that one? Do you know which one I'm talking know. about? I don't think I have seen Oh, one. my gosh. You talk about culture clashes and that kind of thing. <laughs> and uh, just, it was a beautiful moment because uh, David Letterman doesn't, uh, doesn't let anything slip by, and Van Johnson is talking over him, underneath him, through him, all over the place, and uh, David is corralling him and all that. And then it becomes a bit that he keeps coming back to and back to. <laughs> Weeks later, he's still referencing. <laughs> Years later, it still comes up as this Van Johnson thing. But it's a terrific, terrific deal. But as you talk about uh, the show, you kind of break it into different phases, and there's the Meryl Marco thing. Incidentally, she, that, at that point, uh, it's really inventing and reinventing what you can do in television, maybe connecting to the lineage of Ernie Kovacs or something like that. Um, when was the first real talk show? I have to imagine it was back in the uh, Greek days or so. The Greek days, that's true. That's the first thing with Socrates, who yeah. had the first talk show. Yeah. And then picking up from Socrates was Steve Allen, of yeah. course. Uh, or they at, uh, in the first, was the first host of The Tonight Show. Yes. Uh, and then follow him was uh, Jack Parr and Letterman, I thought... That Letterman would was a Ernie Kovacs fan, yeah. but it turned out he did not watch Ernie Kovacs as a kid. Yeah, uh, he did watch Steve Allen put on a show after he left the Tonight Show, uh, which Westinghouse put on, which was very influential for him. Uh, so he was a big, he was a, but he was a student also of Jack Parr, who told him um, Jack Parr was the person who said it's okay to be angry on television. <laughs> yeah. And well, that, uh, he certainly ran with that. Yes, didn't he? he did. He did. He did. Well, I'm reminded not to sort of one up you as a kind of researcher, and, do. Uh, a student of the form. But of course, we have to go back to the earliest, early days uh, uh, to to uh, look at what was being done there by people like Pernicus Shabotikus, uh, who of course had the great first talk show even before Socrates, and the famous phrase that we still use now uh, uh, in Haru Chikum. Uh, Bemus uh, Magnus Astende, which of course means stick around, we've got a great show. 
in Latin. But uh, anyway, you know, sometimes we do our research and sometimes it doesn't make it into the book. But uh, then the second phase, really, you, you end up with uh, somebody coming up like Chris Elliott. Can we talk about him for a second? Sure, sure, sure. Because then it becomes uh, a kind of, no one was more savage at piercing the hole of celebrity and the phoniness of entertainment than Chris Elliott. And that became a kind of driving uh, characteristic of the show. Yes, yes. No, Chris Elliott was basically like an in-house star. He would come on and do a character once a week. Yeah. And in his early years, he would do like the guy under the stairs and he would pop up under the stairs and he would have this antagonism with Letterman and he would, uh, and in the middle of doing this character, he would break character and he would, and uh, Letterman would say, hey, nice, nice bit of acting there, Chris. And then he would get really mad and he would say nice but acting how dare you and he's then he always end by saying he'd go back under the stairs and he'd say and i'm gonna track you down until i make your life a living hell and that's how he ended everyone and then he did that for a little while and then he started doing kind of these big blowhard show business guys like he famously did marlon brando yes, yes. uh and marlon he didn't do marlon brando from on the waterfront or from streetcar or from the godfather he did marlon brando the like fat bloated Nut job. Later. And he did, uh, he did uh, which would maybe the funniest thing for a, if you're in a certain kind of mood ever on the show, which is the banana dance. He would do this dance as Marlon Brando, uh, and he would come out, and you can't even imitate. But Chris is one of these guys <laughs> who is hilarious, but you can't really explain why. Uh, yes, yeah. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, he, he was uh, integral. And, you know, he had a sort of special status on that show in part because his father – who was a great radio star right. that Letterman and his father listened to as a kid. Uh, Bob and Ray. Bob and Ray. Yeah. And uh, he was Bob. And so uh, he, he was able to get away with things on that show that none of the other writers were. He, he could talk. He could insult Letterman to his face that in the way that nobody else would. Yes. And uh, then you talked to Letterman. You had a good uh, sit down I with did. him. And Elliot, yeah. Were you surprised by uh, Letterman's uh, willingness to talk? He's happy with the book? I don't know. Oh. I don't know. Maybe okay. he'll be here and, and let us Probably know. Probably will be yeah, here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that, of all the bets, that's a safe one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that was a beard, Letterman-like beard right there. It, it I know. could be him. It could be, it could be him. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, uh, I mean, I've heard good feedback from people on the show. Uh, I uh, I, have n I do not know if Letterman's seen it. Uh, I was was I surprised that he talked to me? Uh, by the time he didn't talk to me at first, and then when it became clear that there this was going to be the Letterman book, and I had talked to hundreds of people, including his, you know, people he went to elementary school with, and people he was at his college radio station with, um, you know, people I think that, that he wanted to have his voice in this story. Um, so uh, I thought it was a chance he wouldn't talk to me, but I thought there was probably like a 60-40 you know, chance he would. Yes. Well, uh, I'm glad that you did, and you're probably glad you did, too. And it's, it really gives you a unique perspective on what was happening uh, for him, the yes. subject of the book. And uh, there was a point, though, where he kind of checked out a little bit, right? The yep. later years, uh, maybe just uh, not checked out, but in terms of inventing, he was really showing up to do a job. Yes, in fact, I was just recently was talking to uh, a writer from the show who was in the later years, a comedian, Jenna Friedman. Yes. And the way she put it... She's been on the show. Has she been on the show? Sure. So she said, uh, the way she put it is that towards the end of the show... Uh, it was a little, uh, a little bit like Weekend at Bernie's. They would roll him out, <laughs> and I thought, how come you didn't tell me that before I wrote the book? Because that would have been a nice quote. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, well, that's too bad. Yeah. But uh, he seems to be doing well now. 
I think he's never been happier. I think yeah. he's great. He he's sort of become like Bill Murray. You know, he pops up at random yeah. places. is 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 very funny, uh, and you know, shows off the beard. And uh, people are kind of shocked to see him. And then he moves on to the next strange, uh, you know, place he pops up. <laughs> yes. Well, and uh, as somebody who covers comedy, who is a, you know comedy critic over there at the New York Times, that's a job you invented. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good one. If you're going to invent one, that's a good one and a good place to do it. Uh, do you see a future for late night? Uh, yeah. I mean, it seems like there's well, there's more of them than there's ever been, but yeah. I'm not. I'm not sure that they're they're all reaching smaller audiences. More, it's more f- like the culture generally more fragmented and yep. and, and, and uh, I try niche. to reach as small an audience as possible. Well, it's the quality of the audience <laughs> that I'm matters, succeeding. not the quantity. That's, uh, <laughs> that's, that's true. It, that is true. The Letterman that's didn't true. reach that many people, but it yeah. was I. You know, he's Letterman consistently got less people than Leno. Yeah. And actually, Leno's producer reviewed my book, which I think is a conflict of interest. But he uh, (laughs) and he said at the end of his review, he said, who is this guy, Jason Zinneman, to say who won, you know, the late night war? Who's the people decide. That's who decides who. And uh, yeah. I'm here to say, no, 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 no I, I, I decide. You decide. Yeah. <laughs> fuck, fuck, fuck the people. Absolutely. Letterman won, Leno didn't, and the person deciding is me. That's, that's it. It's that's not a demo- History's not a democracy. No, no it's, it's we've not. seen that time and time yeah. again. <laughs> yes, it <laughs> doesn't matter what the people want. That's uh, terrific. That's great. Well, uh, the book is so good, and I want to thank you for uh, inventing that position and covering comedy because it's uh, essential, uh, influential, and it, it means a great deal, I think, to the to the comedy community. So thank you. I appreciate it. Jason Zinneman, everybody. Thank you. Thanks for being here. My goodness. That's great. Oh, you can stay. Why don't you stay? Yeah. No, I know you're tentative. I didn't. We didn't talk about that before. Sure. Go all the way down. Yeah, that's nice. And uh, you all right? You go sweet. Yeah, that was maybe cutting. Okay. Well, now, uh, you know, one of the things I like to do. You okay, Cornelius? Okay, good. Uh, one of the things that I like to do on this program is highlight some of the rising stars that are coming up. You know, some of the young comedians that are doing interesting work. And uh, to that end, we have our next guest, who is somebody who's kind of playing with this form of late night and hosting and doing all sorts of things that are very interesting. Uh, so uh, we're going to bring him up. He's uh, been uh, one of the artists in residence over at Joe's Pub, where he's got a show um, uh, called Nightcap by Ike and uh, Ike at Night which has been at Ars Nova and Under the Radar Festival, those kind of things. He's also been seen on the special without Brett Davis. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Ekechiku Ofamadu. You hear, Ike? Come on up. There we are. How are you, sir? Good. Grab a, a microphone there. How are you? I'm doing well. Good. Uh, I, I was at your show recently at Joe's Pub. Yes. Uh, Nightcap. Yes. Which was a lot of fun. Thank you for putting that together. My pleasure. It was a little bit unexpected in that it's a, a not quite a talk show format, but you had a kind of a lounge scene going on. Yes. And it was a lounge scene with some country musicians, including a mandolin, which is not what I was expecting to see at a lounge act. You don't have too many mandolins playing. There are not too many mandolins in lounge acts. There was a, uh, we, we figured that um, we, we'd be the first to do it. <laughs> I think you were, and you succeeded. It was a, a heck of a player. Oh, thank you, thank you. Yes, yeah. yes, on behalf of him, thank you. <laughs> sure, well, you can pass along an email or I something. Will. I will. Um, uh, now, 
how, how long have you been interested in the uh, form of late night? And first of all, explain what nightcap is, and then maybe explain what uh, Ike at night would be. Yes, so um, let's see. So going back to, um, oh, some years ago. Okay. Uh, you know, I, I, I didn't really grow up interested in, in late night television, but I was studying theater. I, I did theater in, in, in middle school and high school and went to NYU for theater. And uh, You grew up in Texas. I grew up in Texas, yes. the great state of Texas down yep. there. We have a clap for that and uh, NYU there. Yep. And a boo, of course. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. That's all right. I am. Uh, anyway, um, you don't have to speak for all of Texas. It's no, okay. I don't yes. have to speak for everyone. <laughs> yes. um, but uh, yeah, I came to late night um, after all of this theater training. I turned on uh, the television one day and I think it, I turned to Letterman and um, I thought, wow, this is very interesting. So there's this guy on a stage, like I have been on stages uh, for, th for plays and things, and for some reason, he, he does a show every single night and he has to wear a suit and he has to sit at a desk on stage. I, as an actor, did not have to sit at a desk to do my lines. But he it had to it's rare that you get a show where you get to sit the whole time. Yes, it's yeah. extremely rare. Yeah. Not uh, a lot of Shakespeare desk, desk pieces. No, no, there aren't, but maybe someday. Maybe someday. I, I still cross my yes. fingers. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we can get the Tempest set in an office environment. That would, yeah. be, that would be fantastic. <laughs> yeah, it would be. But yeah, I was, uh, you know, at, at NYU, you study sort of experimental forms of performance. And yes. um, I thought, oh, this is a strange thing that this person know, works for a very big corporation, is dressed the same way as the CEO, and he sits at a desk probably like the CEO, like Les Moonves, Moonves? anyway, yeah. does at CVS, and uh, his job is to tell jokes, but he can only do it in the suit. Anyway, j it just kind of fascinated me. You were attracted to the form itself. The form itself. And you you and kind of broke apart the elements of it and thought, well, gosh, how does that translate to my theatrical practice? Yes, yes. Jason also has a history in theater. Ah, yeah, very uh, good. Yeah. Very, it's a good thing to have a history in. <laughs> I suppose. I don't know. Who taught you at NYU? Uh, only the best. <laughs> <laughs> Only the best taught you there. Only the best. <laughs> Made a mark, did they? The fine faculty <laughs> over there. <laughs> yes, they are the best. But now one of the things I liked about the program that you did is that, Ike, you're not afraid to have these, you know, moments mm. that... Mm. I mean, pauses. There were long yeah. pauses in the, in the program. Sometimes at work, I like to go to the unisex bathroom and take a nap. Mm -hmm. It was not unlike what you were doing. Yes. There a long pause yes. there. Yes. And really enjoy that, that um, awkward silence. Yeah, I don't know why that, uh, why that is. Um, but it <laughs> comes from, uh, I guess it's, um, I remember I went to uh, leadership camp in middle school. Okay, yes. Thank you. Thank you. Was this a, the thing where they take you to D.C.? Uh, no, this oh. was, a, I, was a, I was in the student council. Okay, sure. Uh, yeah, me too. A long, lengthy career in the yeah, student council. Yeah, I did too, for all four years. Very good, very yeah. good. It's yeah. nice to meet a fellow it student is. I know. I knew that we'd get along. <laughs> <laughs> we have similar concerns. Yes. What was your great achievement? I got an LED sign put up in the cafeteria. <laughs> <laughs> Still there. 
<laughs> you know, very I, proud. <laughs> I, uh, I I actually I, I had a big uh, I, I failed to deliver on my biggest uh, oh campaign gosh. promise. Uh, a lot well, of controversy there. Well, I guess I've one up to you on that uh, regard. I have been one up. But uh, uh, you, 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 you were saying. Oh, something about oh the pauses. No, yeah. I just remembered we were going around a circle sharing thoughts about something, and um, some 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 girl there thought that I was. Uh, the, the well, I mean, I was speaking slow. She thought I was slow. I was slow, but she thought I was slow in that yes. way, because I would just say a word and then just not speak for a little while, and then the next thought would come, and the next thought would come. Yes. So I guess the pauses, that's all to say the pauses come out of a deeply uh, personal place, <laughs> and um, don't know why they're there, but they are there. It's always been there. It's not an invention for this show, which is what I'm uh, uh, pleased to learn. Yes, there's a, it's a theatricalized version of something that happens uh, most days. Yeah. <laughs> and there is something to the rhythm of what you do, which is a little bit of Carson, so you must mm -hmm. have watched a little bit of that. There's a little bit of uh, maybe Woody Allen on mm -hmm. the Dick Cavett mm -hmm. show. Mm -hmm. Something. Incidentally, I met Dick Cavett here a couple weeks ago. Dickie Cavett. D Dickie Cavett. Oh. Uh, do you talk to him, Jason? Yeah, no, it's not worth it. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, he's an okay guy. Listen, he's fine. I'm not gonna. I'm oh. not gonna be. Uh, he's quite old. Yes, yes. And he's concerned with getting home on time. Mm. <laughs> that, that happens. Let, let's That's leave it at that. Yeah. But uh, not very talkative backstage. Mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm. Not, a, not a chum. But anyhow, uh, there are these rhythms. You're interested in the rhythms of it, too, in addition to the form itself. Yes. I, yeah, I did watch. I, I sometimes think, uh, hmm, let's see what to say. I'm typically not interviewed, and so you'll pardon me if I stumble over my words. That's okay. A little flip-flop flip here for you. A little flip-flop indeed. Yes. A little flip-flop does the body good. Sure. Um, I hear, anyway, uh, what, was I, what was the question? Well, I don't know that we ever answered the first one, which is what was Nightcap as opposed to Ike at Night? Uh, yes, so Ike at Night was this sort of uh, pop-up talk show that uh, has had a few productions here and there uh, in 2014 in Brooklyn at a place called Jack, and then we did it at the Public Theater 2015, and last year in Bushwick at the Bushwick Stars. So that was... Uh, that that was the sort of uh, my my version of a talk show. Yes. We had a sidekick, and uh, there was this set built out. We had the guests and uh, a, a monologue and all this. Um, so when it came time to think of another show uh, for Joe's Pub, yes. which is a more of a, a, a cabaret type place. Um, I thought, well, you know, if we think of the, if we think of this host person who has to wear a suit in order to entertain, um, if we think of his talk show as sort of the desk job, then maybe he has to unwind after doing his desk job, just like anyone. And so in order to unwind, he puts on a tuxedo and he goes onto this Joe's Pub stage and he continues to entertain, but he now has a drink in his hand and he's holding He's enjoying his nightcap, and this is how he enjoys it in front of a live studio, a live audience, you could we, say. 
with a little mandolin player. With a little mandolin player. Yeah, yeah. So I, mean, I don't mean to say that the player was small, no, but uh, no, no, no. a little mandolin music, I should have said. A little mandolin uh, music. Yeah, yes, yeah. Hmm? It, it was a tall, it was a regular sized person. Yes. Uh, play, playing what is a small instrument, but mm. the point being, uh, uh, it was a great show. Uh, so what do you think makes a great guest, though, on a talk show when you have the people? Mm. Uh, what makes a great guest? Well, uh, it's pretty simple. You want to watch them. Yeah. Uh, and you want to hear what they say, and you can't look away for some reason. I think one of my favorite guests, uh, I don't know him personally, but Norm MacDonald. <laughs> not, not one of your guests. No, but just no, in, no. In, just general, in general, a good guest. Yes, okay. Yeah, I really like uh, Norman MacDonald. Yes, great when guest. When he's yeah. on Conan's show. Uh-huh. Because uh, it's just uh, that I guess the rhythms between them are so, they're just uh, hmm. You just gotta experience it firsthand. I think. Yes. Yes. Um, <laughs> the rhythm uh, and timing is so important. It's incredibly important. <laughs> and um, yeah, so a good guest would be him. Okay. You could uh, <laughs> distill. Uh, you know, there's a certain way that uh, he, you, you know, you're left, uh, you don't know what to expect, and that is very fun to live in that space, and um, once the unexpected thing happens, you are happy that you stayed and listened through the uh, interview, and... Um, I actually teach on the side. <laughs> You're good. This is I my. Think this is you how could I definitely do a master class in, in that kind of a thing. Yes. Uh, prolonging it out like mm -hmm. that—that's uh, <laughs> terrific. Yes. Um, <laughs> now, uh, with the thing you really do view it though as theater. Are you trying to translate the show into TV, or because what you're playing with seems to me to be a theatrical uh, device? Yeah, I think it's funny to watch. Uh, or part of the, the so part of the fun of Ike at Night was the fact that it was this live thing. I think, I think. Yeah, still figuring it out. I, I'm figuring it out as we speak. <laughs> that There's seems to uh, be the way you do it. Uh, at least you know it's fresh. Whatever word or thought, it's completely <laughs> fresh. That's right. <laughs> yeah, uh, there's something about the, uh, I mean, you think of, in thinking about a person, or for me, for thinking about a person who has to wear a suit in order to entertain people, it is fun to be in the same space with that person. I almost think of it as, uh, oh, hello, I'm this person who's here to entertain you now. Yeah. Um, but in order to do so, you must be seated in these risers here, and I need to sit by my desk here. And, um, okay. And uh, now I have to come out of a curtain now, so please hold on. And so I go back to the curtain, and then I come out from the curtain, and then it's like, okay, now we can say, now I can say hello to you. Like, this is the most, this is the best way that I can, this is the most... This is the most genuine and perfect way that I, the entertainer, can say hello to you at this moment. I, I don't know. It's fun to do that in front of, and anyway, people. Uh, I was about to give up on that sentence. 
<laughs> you can't give up on it. We're all there too. Yes. We'd have to also give up on it, and we've come so far. <laughs> <laughs> we really want you to reach the period yes. at the end of that sentence, mm -hmm. but um, maybe someday you will. And so are you going to do anything else with you? You'd also do stand-up and things around town. Is there another uh, addition coming up? You're in residence at Joe's? Yeah, I'm in residence at Joe's Pub, so I'll be back there a, a few more times this year. Great. Uh, the, the listeners can visit IkeHimself.com to remember to remind themselves of when those dates are. And um, Is there a lot of space between the letters? Yes, there's uh, yeah. so much. The uh, <laughs> yeah, kerning, I don't know. Is that what that is? I think so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank yes, you. There we, we have some graphic designers there out go. there. I'm glad kerning made it into the program. <laughs> well kerned. Uh, it, it's essential. Nuggets, what, yes. I mean, I laugh, but it's true. It's very you gotta true. you got to have it. That's great. Well, well, we'll visit the website and we'll look for. Um, I'm just uh, I know the there's some nice kerning on the on the book, very which well is available now. Um, uh, Ike, thank you for being here. Oh, th it's a pleasure to be it's here. It's terrific. Thank you for for having me. Ike Afamadu, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> thank you so much. Well, uh, you know, as I understand it, uh, these uh, talk shows, hosting can take many forms. One of uh, uh, the new uh, uh, crop uh, that's coming up, a new uh, way that you can host things is with podcasts. I, I got to hear more about that. I'm definitely intrigued. What's it all about? Why is it called a pod? Anyhow, uh, uh, our next guest is the host of a very popular one called Mave in America, Immigration in Real Life. She's also the co-host, along with some guy named Neil deGrasse Tyson, uh, of National Geographic Star Talk. She's a great comedian and terrific personality. Please welcome Maeve Higgins. Maeve, come on up here. Yes. Thank you. Nice to see you. There should be. There you go. There's the microphone. There we are. Thank you. It's beautiful. Isn't it? Yeah. Yes. I can't take my eyes off you, and it's such a beautiful sound. <laughs> yep. I've heard those same words myself, Maeve. Uh, uh, you, you do host this podcast. That's terrific. Uh, that's, uh, it's going great. Yeah. Maeve in America. Two seasons. We're just negotiating a third. Oh, yeah. Who do you negotiate with? I'm on season just nine. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Who cares? Who cares? Doesn't matter. <laughs> that's great. No, I should have more of your can-do attitude. Is that what you're picking up? <laughs> uh, <laughs> this sort of thrusting energy. <laughs> it is a lot of thrusting. Thank you for noticing. Huh? Maeve, your show is so wonderful and so expertly produced. There's so many parts to it. How mm -hmm. do you do all the parts? You're going on remotes. You, have you go to people's offices. It's all <laughs> over there. It's, it's a lot to it. There's a lot of information in it. Yeah. So every week we talk to a, a different immigrant, yes. and then it's the immigrant uh, telling their story in their own voices. Yep. And then we have some context kings and queens who like call in and say, um, give some background to maybe where the country the person came from or the visa that they're on. And then I do stuff like I went and visited the border wall in um, San. Uh, Sandy, where is it? Oh, I can't remember. Tijuana and whatever American yep. city. Yep. Is San it? Diego. San Diego, thank yeah. you. Um, One of our great cities, by the way. <laughs> it was fun. Um, <laughs> it was fun, but um, 
yeah so and then like try and cram it all into a into a podcast yes yes yeah. i'm familiar and uh, you also <laughs> went to uh, another uh, great city philadelphia recently yeah went yeah. to to philly as we say back in ireland <laughs> no we don't <laughs> yes i don't know what's going on <laughs> i'm from there and i barely say that right, uh, uh, right. but that's i think uh, sometimes that happens if you move here you try and use like colloquialisms but you get them wrong i think that <laughs> Uh, maybe what just happens. Uh, sure. Yeah, yeah, you're like, oh, mini city for Minneapolis and stuff like that. Doesn't yeah, work. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't work. Or like, oh, the great big sandy state. And they're like, no, <laughs> no. this is Kansas. Like, we don't know what you mean. <laughs> right. Yeah. It can be difficult, can it? Mix ups. Ah, <laughs> uh, they're fun. But uh, it's so, you know, there's a lot of old stuff in Philadelphia, isn't there? Yeah, I went there because it was President's Day and I wanted yeah. to talk about the history of immigration and presidents and, um, I thought, and so we went to like Washington's house, which is yeah. in Philly, and found out that he had like German indentured servants and he had like slaves, and um, he was so inappropriate. Our history is problematic. <laughs> That's what I'm finding out through learning about immigration. <laughs> yeah. Because I was like, there can't be a Muslim ban, like not in America. And then I found out there was like a Chinese Exclusion Act. And yeah. like, there's, there's great precedence in this country for bigotry. Yes, and it makes you think that maybe the, if the Native Americans had invented the idea anti-sanctuary city. Oh, I know. They'd be better off. But I know. now we got it down there in Texas. Anyhow, uh, uh, Phil, but the oldest stuff, the oldest I stuff. I blame the Native Americans. <laughs> It all comes back to them. They were here first. Were they? I don't know. The, the point... <laughs> no, I just don't know technically what the history is, if there were other people. But the, the, there's a lot of migration that happens back then. I think English people were here first. Yeah, you do. Yeah. Well, the oldest stuff on earth, of course, is in Ireland, where you're from. Oh, yeah. Yeah, a lot of old green stuff there, isn't it? I think so. I was like, mossy. is he just having me on the show because of my, like, mystical... Um, accent. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, so that's <laughs> why I'm going to try and I keep... I hope that's okay. I'm going to try and keep up this character for the whole show. <laughs> oh, good. You're doing great. <laughs> but now, you might not be able to tell from my complexion, but I'm part <laughs> Irish. <laughs> and uh, uh, the, it truly We have is people of all complexions in Ireland. Well, do you? <laughs> 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 we run from, like, my pale color to yes. the peachy purple of Steve Bannon. <laughs> yes. Quite a Pantone spread on it that. It is. Yes. But, um, porridge. <laughs> porridge. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a, a skin tone I like, porridge. Uh, also a consistency I like. But uh, uh, speaking of porridge, you... Uh, you you had a, uh, we're talking recently mm -hmm. about tracing your ancestry and going back to a certain point. And your mm -hmm. friend Neil deGrasse Tyson was like, no, we're all related. Uh, we're all from one family in Africa. And uh, we're all just, every two people are related. And I appreciate that mm -hmm. as sort of scientific fact. But it's mm -hmm. abstract to the point of being unhelpful, isn't it? Because if you spend $200 and spit in a vial and send your stuff off because you want to find out that you were related to someone, well, it better be the king of France and not just some guy that's sitting there on the subway across from you eating, as you said, oatmeal from a can. Oh, there's the link. I was like, how is Oh, I'm bringing it back to porridge. Don't worry. Don't worry. It's still there. Um, yeah, I mean, he, so Neil deGrasse Tyson is a scientist and he doesn't believe that like 
because I was like to him, oh, are you curious about tracing your roots or whatever? He was like, no, like, I know my roots. Like, I know all of our roots. Yeah. So he doesn't think it's important at all. And he thinks it's stupid and arbitrary for us to like draw a line and say like I'm Irish or like I'm American or a German or whatever. Um, so I mean I'm not about to argue with him. He's like very you know I taught him everything he knows and I don't want him to. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. I don't uh, want to embarrass him. Well, one of the uh, uh, the DNA that I'm really interested in is comedy DNA. Mm. And uh, so mm. how do you track your influences? Was there an Irish Letterman? No, I was actually listening to the lads, and I think that's such a um, like an amazing comedy heritage that there is here in America. And mm. like, I love those stories of like little kids like connecting to comedy when maybe others. I mean, I don't know your life, but like, your life, but like when maybe other stuff isn't making sense. And like, I think that would have been great for me when I was like eleven to you know, 30. That's <laughs> um, <laughs> so something to hold on to. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but um, there, is, there isn't really such a scene in, in Ireland. Yeah. yeah. But you uh, uh, recently talked to um, the Egyptian letterman on your program. Oh, I did. I, I, he fashions himself as like the Egyptian John Stewart. Oh, I'm sorry. Egyptian No, it's John, fine. John I mean, Stewart. if he actually has it trademarked, it's like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, under his name. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, but, and that gets to something that we hadn't talked about, uh, Jason or Ike, which mm -hmm. is that the late night platform has increasingly become uh, a political uh, and engaged with that and a platform for that. Uh, not something that we've seen before, correct? Uh, yes, I mean, sure. Uh, I mean, I think John Stewart ch uh, changed that. I mean, yeah. he, he came. I think before John Stewart, there was the, certainly with Carson, there was a sense that he took pride in you not knowing what he thought, and yeah. not he took pride in not weighing in on Vietnam, uh, which was a contrast with with Dickie Cavett, uh, yes. who was more political but who lost to Carson. And then when the uh, '80s came around, uh, people didn't know what Letterman thought. And that was true in the 90s, too. And then Stewart came along and proved that you could both be sort of righteously political, have a strong point of view, uh, and get an audience. And I think what you're seeing is that just has only continued until now, where uh, now now the you know late night, these late night shows are doing well precisely because of their you know political response to Trump. Yes, yeah. Um, Okay, you can take it back. Oh. Um, <laughs> Very fluid. Uh, now, uh, you are uh, going through the immigration process or you're done with it? Um, no, I'm just, I just applied for my second visa. And that's, is that an okay process? Is it scary? Uh, it's okay. I mean, I'm very privileged. Like, it was very easy for me to move here compared to most people because, like, I'm white and I'm, like, an artist and from Europe and all that stuff. So it's definitely easier. Yes. Like, the immigration system is very raced. But um, I, ha I get a funny visa, which is the Alien of Extraordinary Ability visa. <laughs> so it's, like, the kind of, like... Alien of Extraordinary Ability. That's yeah. pretty good. Thank you. Yeah. Um, it's like, I mean, it's a funny one because I feel like comedians, I don't know, like, but like are naturally like self-deprecating. I mean, it's a weird thing because we like shout and take the mic all the time, but naturally we're like, I hate myself. <laughs> so that, but then you have to be like, <laughs> I'm sorry to speak for you. I don't know. Um, well, I know. There's, uh, from time to time, these feelings come up, sure. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm over it. Uh, but anyway, but you have to collect 12 letters from 
fancy people in your industry that yeah. say the lawyer gives you all these adjectives like you know extraordinary being the main one and like magical was one and um they have to say all this stuff about you people that you don't know because you don't live in america so you have, have to be like you know my friends who who work on bob's burgers like i have friends who do the voices of yes. jean and louise so they had to, they vouched for me to the government like to the u.s government <laughs> they were like i'm on a network and like but like they do cartoon voices but luckily i was friends with them from different festivals and then they wrote me letters to the government and that's how i got here thank goodness for bob's burgers <laughs> i know <laughs> i know i'm so i'm so grateful and i love that show but i'm also like geez there's like astrophysicists sitting in like camps <laughs> in jordan who are like i can help you and america is like get out <laughs> right. so it's tricky but you have a, a nice cosplay probably as Bob's Burgers characters. Oh, we do. <laughs> I would think you would dress like Bob's Burgers all the time because you'd be just as so a token of my gratitude. Yes, yeah. <laughs> but now uh, you mentioned this earlier, but yeah. you 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 work with Neil deGrasse Tyson. He's kind of a skeptic, kind of a science, kind of a uh, he's, he's a scientist. <laughs> he's that kind <laughs> he's of a, a science skeptic. guy. He's a scientist. Uh, but he's now he's not a skeptic. He's a little bit of a skeptic. Okay, though. yeah. I always think of that in relation to climate change. No, no, no. Not right. like that. Not, okay, not okay. an idiot. Uh, he's, <laughs> he's somebody that... <laughs> he's, facts are facts. Still matter. Um, yeah, but yeah, uh, yeah. anyhow, you, you, did you, have an, you co-host that show. The co-host job can be tricky. Mm -hmm. He's uh, somebody who's uh, very knowledgeable. Did you bring a lot of space... Uh, acumen, knowledge <laughs> to the to the ding, is, uh, to the thing. Is that? Uh, um, no, I don't like moonlight as an astronaut or anything. <laughs> but I um no. Oh, I just realized the pun in there. That's <laughs> yeah, nice. Or not, but whatever. But um, I like just like in the world saying the words. It's nice. Yeah, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. Um, but I didn't. But that's not why he uses comedians. He uses comedians because we have like a curiosity and like um, we ask a lot of questions yes. and um, we also maybe make a subject that's serious and shut down to a lot of people for example scientists or on my own show immigration then we open that up a little bit more to people who maybe wouldn't care about it or feel left out of that yes well uh, do you ever uh, feel compelled though to draw on your Celtic history with all the strange <laughs> vibrations in the hills and talk about <laughs> some of those I things. I mean, the things that I grew up with like run counter to a lot of the stuff that Neil like knows. <laughs> like there was a, so I grew up in Cove and there's a very famous witch who lives on my island. Yes. The, a white witch, a good witch. Yeah. And um, we would all like go and see her. I guess she's like a psychic or whatever. And she would tell everyone the same stuff. And she would always be like, you're going to have an affair, and in the act, he's going to die. Like, oh. So she was actually quite, like, had, like, a great Catholic sensibility. Uh, really took me on a journey, that one. I know. I was excited and then afraid. Right? Yeah. yeah. That's exactly what she does. Helen Barrett is her name. Oh. And you pay her in cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that is on my <laughs> must list of uh, places to go now to see. Helen Barrett is her name? Helen Barrett. Yeah, we're going to see her. That's terrific. Mm -hmm. uh, well, now the, the podcast comes out every week. Yeah. And uh, you can subscribe wherever you need to. You're, on, you're permanently yeah. the co-host of, of Star Talk? Uh, no, they, f they flutter, fluctuate. 
Okay. Yeah. All right. But you're on most of them? Yeah. And I do yeah. Star Talk on TV as well on the National Geographic channel that nobody sees. Oh, I'll tune into <laughs> Is that where Naked and Afraid is too? Or that's Discovery. <laughs> that's Discovery. But I'll be able to flip over. I don't think not to. Yeah, I think so. I'll flip over. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, you can record Naked and Afraid. I will. You can I do. Be, you can be Naked and Afraid while you're watching Star Talk. <laughs> that is how I will be as I watch most television programs. <laughs> uh, Maeve, thank you so much thank for being you. here. Maeve Higgins, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, that will do it for us from the deep night. Let's hear it for all of my guests uh, tonight. Cornelius Loy back there on the theremin. Thanks to the Slipper Room. And thanks to all of you for joining us in the deep night. Thank you. Good night. Wasn't that something? I loved everything about that conversation and those discussions. Late night TV did have a big impact on this night owl. I'll tell you that. And I bet it did for some of you, too. I wish you all the best, my friends. Thank you for tuning in. And remember that although this night may be ending, a bright new day is just ahead. Deep Night is written and performed by James Bewley with production assistance from Harvest Works in New York City. Music throughout each episode is provided by the amazing talents on the artistic roster of Howler Hills Farm in the great state of Ohio. Deep Night theme by Zach Gabbard, season 9 podcast icon and logo designed by Samantha Mash. Download episodes directly through daleradio.com or subscribe and review the show on iTunes. Also available on Stitcher Radio, Google Play, and SoundCloud. Follow Dale on Twitter at Dale Radio or Instagram at Dale Seaver for behind-the-scenes peeks into the production of the show and the life of Dale Seaver. Thank you to all the subscribers and supporters of this program, and thanks to you for listening. <laughs>